1: We're converting people one stomach at a time to what fresh food can taste like.
0: You use whatever you can use and you respect every bit of it.
1: You know, if it's in season you use it. We need to study and we need to read and we need to know about our region and what it's doing before we can start putting things on dishes. Hello, Stefan Postuma here for another episode of the QuickSand Food Connection. Today I talk to Katrina Spark from Redleaf Farm in Fitzroy Falls. Katrina and her husband Sam farm pigs. They've got chickens, they've got lamb, they've got beef cattle, and all types of other animals out on their beautiful farm in Fitzroy Falls. A very interesting thing about Katrina is that she promotes a very deep connection to food. She's a hunter. She produces she slaughters she butchers her own food and she tans all the elements of those animals uh, she promotes respecting an animal as much as one can possibly do so and she has some very interesting insights into how people should connect to food and what's possible and how it is possible to be more connected to your food. So I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. We start off right in the thick of it talking about her pigs. I enjoyed it so much and I hope you do too. So here's Katrina Spark.
0: And when they can see what I'm feeding the pigs and they can see how the pigs are growing and how they're living, a piece of paper saying on, I'm organic certified is not going to make a difference to them when they taste my meat and they've seen, they've actually met me and seen how it's how it's being raised. That's all they need. Mm. So the hassle of going through, okay, well, you know, it's it's a process, and I understand why it is laborious and why it is, you know, very pedantic, but it's not, Um, it's not necessarily going to enhance my business to be organically certified. Mm. I do raise my pigs organically. Yeah. I raise my lambs organically. There are, on occasion, ewes that require drenching for the animal's health and well-being, which would not fit into an organic regime. Yep. And so therein lies the conundrum. If I'm doing the best by my animals, that means occasionally they do need modern science and and that means medicine that's not necessarily organic certified Um, similarly if i'm really interested in my riparian creek system you know there's nothing better than actually digging out blackberry except that you only need to leave a tiny little bit and the most all the, the rest of the blackberry is going to be downstream the one thing that you need to necessarily control that noxious weed is not necessarily a chemical that will be organically certified. You know, yeah. I do use woofers so that I can mechanically do stuff as opposed to chemically do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't believe in in doing that. I'm, I always use organic fertilisers. I rotate paddocks in order to get the m- most out of my grass and my my soil. Really. Yeah. Because all the, each animal has its own sort of set of gut flora and fauna that can either help or hinder, and you know. Enhancing each paddock by rotating different stock classes through, is it sort of seems like a much nicer way to go. It, it's a lot more For labour sure. intensive and it's a lot harder work. But if you've only got a small farm, that's very doable. Mm-hmm. Hard to sort of justify the realisation of labour versus income from a business perspective that way. Except, you know, we've been here maybe eight years and I'm now at the stage where I have a waiting list of hatted chefs for My produce, yeah. If I have lambs ready, I could call you know, call Aria and say, Ben, would you like lambs? So, oh, fantastic, yeah, I'd love some. Can, can you deliver them next week? What day? You know, um, I've got Australia's most exclusive and amazing butcher in Victor Churchill who actively promotes understanding where their meat comes from. I mean, as a butcher that's a profession that used to be highly regarded and then I think went through a whole progression of people going, oh, oh, you just deal with dead animals and it's meat. And people don't want to see where their meat comes from. They just want it wrapped in plastic from the supermarket and they feel good about going and shopping and buying it and then, you know, providing for their family and then wonder why they're left wanting mm-hmm. wonder why they're not satisfied from a, a meal perspective or from a, from a providing perspective. Um, and I think there's a, there's, a, there's a respect there for animals that's been lost, which can only be brought back by understanding the provenance and what goes into raising an animal and what goes into raising it well. And my pigs, for example, yes, it's sad. I caught nine pigs this morning. Delicious, juicy, little, nice, chubby porkers. When they're not really chubby, they'll have one millimetre of fat under their very thin skin, which will be the most divine pork crackling you've ever tasted. And once you've eaten that kind of pork, it's very hard to eat, you know, chemically ridden, intensively farmed pork chops. I mean, everyone wants cheap bacon, but it's not always the way to go. Mm. I think if we ate less quantity, better quality, um, it would solve... A lot of issues yeah. in, that society now has, um, especially with food. I mean, our relationship with food these days is, is sort of far more luxurious than it ever has been in the past. Just in this country alone, the food produce that we have available to us can just about better any worldly cuisine. You pick a cuisine, pretty much guarantee that we produce what you need for it in this country and yeah. possibly at a better standard than than its origin. Um, We're very blessed in that way, in what what we have. Um, However, I don't think it's well utilised and I think people will choose the cheap bacon. People choose the cheap oranges that have been transported from Mexico rather than buy an orange with a ding on it that's come from... Riverina, yeah, you know, which is ludicrous when you think about the transportation and the and the exploitation of labour that it's cost to get that orange there cheaper. Um, and in the case of livestock, it's it's hard work raising them properly. But I know when I take my pigs to the abattoir, they have a bad day. Yeah, they have a bad ten minutes actually. Not even they have a they have a bad ten seconds because they're with their mates in the trailer eating delicious food all the way there. I transport them myself and they have had the best possible pig life that they could hope for and and they're happy mm. and that makes them taste better.
1: Yeah, and so. I mean, at the end of the day, like if, if you buy meat, wherever you buy it from, it's, it's it was a living, breathing animal that had to die. And yeah. definitely having that connection to, you know, and realising that through, you know, you can buy a whole pigs or you can visit a farm like yours and and, and have that connection... Regardless of whether or not you're buying a rack of lamb, you know, in a nice styrofoam and glad wrapped container, it was still once a once a an lamb, animal, an, yeah. an animal, and I think it it makes such sense to me that knowing where that came from and even experiencing it, like watching watching it die or be butchered yeah. or something like that, makes you appreciate that animal more, and then gives you and 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 it makes you want to seek out people like yourself that are producing, um, you know happy animals as well.
0: It's a bit of a catch-22 in this country. It's hard to watch an animal die because of the laws we have in regard to killing. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, the The strict laws around abattoirs mean that we do have uh, a standard that has to be adhered to and that most often is. Oh, that'll be something bombing us from above. Right. <laughs> um, but... On the other hand, <coughs> the difference with a farm-butchered lamb... Um, I'm not allowed to sell farm-butchered lamb. I can kill a lamb myself and I can eat it myself and I can feed it to you for dinner right here. Mm-hmm. Can't leave my farm. Yeah, um, And that's that's sort of where... That's the delineation is actually the farm gate. You can't then off-sell yeah. something. And the the laws are in place for very good reasons. But in my case, it does make it difficult. I would love to be able to do it here. To actually know in my heart that it's done Sorry, properly. Not because I'm a redneck who wants to kill things, but I know that it's done properly if, if I've done it. Of course. Um, you know, when you can take that to hunting, it's, it's another... That's a whole other thing that most people have got no concept of. They, and they abhor the thought of guns or killing... While chomping down on their tasty lamb chop mm-hmm. or their nice pork crackling, Exactly. Um, you know, animals have to die. And in fact, a bullet is one of the most efficient and kindest and fastest ways for them to die if someone knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to teach that to my children and trying to instill in them that you take a life for a reason and only for a reason and of that life you use whatever you can use and yeah. you respect every bit of it i think is something that more people should understand and if they could actually see if they could see it happening or have the opportunity to to understand how it happens most people don't actually want to know but i think it's something that they should
1: yeah definitely um,
0: i think it that the respect for the food in that regard comes through and it is nice that there's a lot of chefs that are embracing that and they you know, they want to do nose to tail. I had a a joke with Colin Fasnich saying um, he came down here to do some filming and catch some pigs and he actually caught a pig and killed the pig and then we butchered and ate the pig on the fire for this TV pilot thing he was filming. And he said he, he himself gets delivered, you know, dozens of pigs every week but never has he once stopped to think about looking in this animal's eyes and actually killing it himself. Mm. And as soon as you do that, it's very, very different how you treat that meat because it's no longer just meat. If you've made that decision to sort of take that soul, if you will, without trying to get um, biblical, I think it is quite important to understand that if you take a life, it is it's worth something. It's not just a random. I'll just have the eye fillet. I'll I'll have the whole thing. And he was joking, saying he'd done this amazing pig's ear schnitzel, and the women in the eastern suburbs would laugh at him and say, "Oh no, no, I feed my dogs pig's ears, dried little <laughs> pig's ears." And it didn't take long for them to say which which wine they thought went best with his fabulous pig's ear. Yeah. You know. So for me, I get upset at the abattoir when they're not careful enough and if there's still some hair on it rather than take the hair off, they just cut the whole ear off. I'm a crook going, I can't deliver this pig to a chef whose signature dish is pig's ear yep. when it doesn't have an ear. Nose to tail is everything. The nose to the tail and everything in between. Don't just cut a bit off because you didn't, you know, get the hair off properly. Yeah. And certainly with black haired pigs they are less popular because people see hair and go, Ooh, it's hair, you know. Yeah. But um, you know, it, it's nice to be able to work with chefs that appreciate and work with butchers who appreciate the provenance and the quality and the lack of chemical input in my entire farm system. It's not You can't just not feed an animal you know, growth hormones in their pellets and say, oh, therefore it's organic. It's got to come down to every single thing you put on that soil, everything that comes out of that soil um, and everything in between. It's, it's a whole complex but actually really simple system if it's if it's done right
1: yeah and is is it mainly chefs that you supply to do you sell your produce Um, elsewhere
0: mainly I do mostly because I sell my pigs as whole suckers at 10 to 12 kilos I don't have a butcher lined up to butcher them and really that's sort of a, a whole pig so I tend to get um I tend to get weddings and special functions that people will book months in advance mm-hmm. because most of my pigs have got a name, you know, they're earmarked at birth that this, they're on the waiting list for, for this, this chef who's next and yep. there's only so many pigs that I can grow at any one time and it's completely random as to when they'll come out, as you saw. Yep. I mean, the boar's up there and he's doing his thing as best he can and it's not always going to be, uh, you know, that there's pigs ready every week. Sometimes there'll be three or four litters all at once and they'll all be ready and suddenly you go, hang on, I've got a heap of pigs. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I do take orders. I do take personal orders or, or orders from the public and the same with lamb. Um, usually I sell it as a whole lamb and yeah. I used to have a, a guy that would butcher that for me so that um, you can take the whole box of lamb, the price is per kilo on the on the dressed weight, if you want to split it up with us, you know, a couple of tray, trays of chops and a couple of two legs and two shoulders and two, it's easy enough to, to go through half a lamb. But people don't think like that. They think, oh, I just like to buy some chops. Well, I don't sell just chops. Yeah. I sell I sell whole animals. And some people that doesn't suit. And other people go, oh, fantastic. Exactly. Especially Great. chefs. Them. <laughs> we'll, yeah. Yeah. We'll find a way to use the whole lot yeah. because there's not a lot of wastage on a lamb. Yeah. Right? Not at all. It's, beautiful <laughs>
1: yeah. we used to at a restaurant that I used to work at in Canberra we used to buy whole lambs as well from a place out near Crookwell and you know the chef the chef used to drive out to the farm grab the lamb bring it into the store and it was so exciting like all the chefs there would be standing behind in the kitchen and he'd walk in with this big thing over his shoulder down to the cool room and it's just like alright game on we've got we've, yeah. got we've got another one so yeah, yeah. it's a great feeling and, and I guess Chef-wise as well, having having all the different parts of a animal allows you to challenge yourself um, as a chef and yeah. experiment with different ways of cooking different different cuts. And Rather than and just
0: ordering the cut that you know or exactly the cut that you yeah exactly the pig's ear in, in point you know yeah um, I had a pig's tail that had been. Deboned, opened up, stuffed with stuff, rolled back together. And, of course, it was just the finest crackling the whole way along. (laughs) Who would have thought pig's tail? I mean, it was like a little pastry snack, you know. It was just just divine. Divine, But I know Mm. the work that must have gone into on a skinned deer and trying to get that tail off and those little bones and trying to make sure I don't break the skin because I want the tail on when I tan it. You know someone's put a lot of love and effort and energy into that one mouthful of dish you know mm. and that's usually not the cares not taken to go there chefs are a bit different they can take the time and energy to say we're going to utilize every piece of this and turn it into something really magic and yeah. so it's nice to to have that and as a farmer certainly it's nice to know that what I'm producing there is a market for yeah rather than great. thinking oh gosh I'm gonna lose out on my cows again or you know um to know that every every animal that i grow can go to a a good place (laughs) yeah
1: do you think do you sort of i mean just as from my perspective you know things like nose to tail and paddock to plate and these little phrases and you know the fact that
0: That'll be you, some of those pesky parrots
1: I talked about. Yeah, the <laughs> dro- dropping the yeah. stuff on the table. Yeah. Um <laughs> But you know, you used to even things like, you know, using a shoulder of an animal or a, a lamb shank. You used to be able to get lamb shanks for two dollars a kilo. Oh, they
0: used to be so cheap. You know, I and
1: and people uh, like I think that it's sort of people are beginning to wake up and realise how you know how good every every aspect of the animal can be. Do you, do you yeah. think that that do you think that that's sort of it's got a positive future in that respect that people will be more engaged in buying, you know, whole animals or, you know, I mean, we talk about secondary cuts now and people are using shoulders more than ever now I don't because think, they realise... I don't think there
0: is such a thing as a secondary cut. Yeah, there's exactly. There's popular cuts and then there's other very tasty cuts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think that the whole concept of paddock to plate and people understanding that this is an animal that's been raised here and now it's on your plate... And catchphrases like paddock to plate, nose to tail, those sorts of things, I think are helping people connect better with their food and understand where it comes from. Um, I think there's probably still an awfully long way to go. But I think there's enough awareness now, predominantly from a health perspective and a taste perspective, of people saying, well, if I'm going to eat meat, I want to have really good meat. Um, If I'm going to watch what I'm eating, I want to not have so many chemicals or preservatives or numbers in processed foods um, and going back to eating raw, real foods, even things like paleo diets and, and um, blood group diets and, th- oh, I have to eat this or I have to eat that or I think most of them are complete crock of shit mm. but, I mean, my mother's a nutritionist, <laughs> what do you expect? You know, A bit of everything's good and, yeah. and you know, everything in moderation. Um, I think there is a growing awareness and certainly maybe it's just because I'm getting older and I know other people who's, you know, my circle of friends are becoming more aware of it. And I think once you start eating, not for yourself, but thinking about feeding your children and what's going into their growing bodies and and making sure that that's as good as it can be mm-hmm. is, is um, for me where it's, the starting yeah. point, I mean, it's why I do what I do is because I want to feed my kids well. Yeah. I want them to have the benefit of the good food that I grew up with. And you look at how many kids these days have got some sort of intolerance or disorder. I think everything's just been too clean and too sterilized and too processed. And our, the digestive collective digestive health of our youth is horrendous. Mm. I think it's just been too pampered. Too, it. it needs to get back to real. It needs to get back to actual real food that isn't chock-a-block full of preservatives and chemicals and flavour enhancers and everything else, just actual real food grown well. It doesn't need all that other stuff.
1: It's it's amazing how, I guess, over the years, I mean, if you look back, let's say, 80 years or something like that before before sort of industrialised agriculture and that's what it was like the farmhouse you'd, you'd go into the paddock and kill what you were having for dinner or yeah. whatever and, and and it was such a normal part of life and then over the years it seems like it's such a quick change into, into the children this, would help pluck it yeah exactly you know and yeah. that
0: chicken would feed the family yeah
1: and then and then even Nowadays, buying I mean, the same, even even as, a, as if any one a, of <laughs> these
0: free-range chickens roaming around here god i've only got nine and eight nine and ten four eight nine and ten And sometimes they'll eat half a chicken themselves. But, you know, chicken breast, you can buy a chicken breast that's like that big.
1: Yeah.
0: What chicken is that from? Exactly. Like, what has that chicken been fed on to have such an enormous breast that it's completely unrealistic? Yeah. The fact is it's bred for its breast and pumped full of hormones so its breast grows big and can't even walk because its breast is so obscenely oversized. And the rest of the chicken probably just gets chucked away. Mm. Yeah. but, yeah, I do think it's it's important, especially for children, to understand where their food comes from and yep. to, to embrace that. And it, I occasionally get people saying they're quite horrified to think, oh, my God, you took your four-year-old hunting? Well, She wasn't going to miss out. Mm. But, you know, the excitement for them that the first time that the whole family had gone hunting and we got up at dawn in the bush and crept through and mummy shot a really pretty deer you never had such satisfaction as when those kids ate that venison stew yeah it was so delicious and part of that deliciousness was knowing the experience that actually went into obtaining that meat and knowing that this is a this is a wild venison shot in our bush you know, it's it's a really nice circle for kids to be able to see and understand that. And I think far from irking them, I think it actually really helps educate them about the realities of of where food comes from. And yeah. I have no problem if someone doesn't want to eat meat, but if they also wear leather shoes and want to have a go at me for not eating meat, I'm I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> like... definitely.
1: And I think like kids, you know, their imaginations are, are brilliant and. They, I can, I can imagine for a lot of children, you know, city, city children and things. The idea of going out and hunting a a, a deer and bringing it back and butchering it's the stuff that they read about in in fairy tales and in or, or, folklore or horror and stories like almost. That. Or, you know, yeah.
0: Oh, and then there was blood and you yeah. know, and yeah, skinning that animal. My hands were a bloody mess, yep. which could have been quite horrendous. But the kids all wanted to watch and learn and, yeah. and see how to do it and you know it, it is it is either terrifying or complete fantasy for most children these yeah. days
1: and how did, how do they like respond the first time they they hunted with you was it was it sort of fascination or were they a bit scared or a bit you know
0: no they were quite fascinated yeah, they were really well, excited I, I don't
1: think children come into this sort of thing with um, the very you know.
0: first time um, we had an we had an extra rooster and my children were I think two three and four at the time and we wondered if maybe we should shield them from it or if we should let them be involved and the four-year-old said oh we're going to catch that rooster dad okay and you know we're all chasing around caught the rooster and we described to the children what was going to happen we were going to eat the rooster so first we had to chop his head off and there was going to be some blood and then we had to put him in this boiling pot which we had to light the fire first so go and collect some sticks because we didn't want to kill him until we we're ready to pluck him didn't want to leave it sitting there so everything has to be ready it's a whole process involved in having chicken for dinner and that started with collecting sticks and lighting a fire mm-hmm. and getting the copper boiling so that it was ready to go that when you had the, the chicken you could then pluck it easily while it's still warm and and um their little fingers were actually brilliant at getting out some of those tiny feathers. (laughs) And they actually thought it was great fun because they were involved in it. And so understanding then that you had to take out the inside because you don't really want to eat the chicken's poo because that's gross. And they got it. They got it so easily and so clearly and we were worried that it might upset them. And in fact didn't upset them at all what it did was make them eat every scrap of chicken for dinner that night they did not put a oh, i'm full or, i'm this or, they ate every bit of it yeah it's like saying to them you know i don't want to eat my carrots if they've grown carrots they'll eat 10 of them in the in the garden as they're pulling them out you know mm-hmm. that's that because that means something to them as opposed to just pulling it out of a plastic bag which doesn't mean something so i actually think it's it's good for them. Maybe yeah. I've got exceptionally unusual children but I think children will embrace whatever yeah. they're taught and the trouble is all we're teaching our kids these days is that a snack comes out of plastic yeah. and you- a meal comes from the supermarket in a box with all the condiments that needs to go with it in one piece and they're, and they're you know um, it's it's quite unrealistic mm. I mean, we're very lucky that we have that here yeah. but um, it's it's not it's not a realistic way to educate children about about food do you
1: think do you think i guess your children growing up on a farm and and seeing what happens to animals from a very early age animals aren't seen as pets and something you know something that becomes you that you have a, a very personal attachment to perhaps we
0: do have pets yeah all, all okay. our sows have names yeah our first two sows we got as little tiny cute piglets and the kids would play with them and feed them every day and they got bigger and bigger and bigger and they watched them grow from cute little pets pepper and ginger into big sows and we still have pepper and ginger um we had another one poppy who was not a very nice sow and she unfortunately hurt her leg and she was a big pushy pig she was a greedy nasty pig and when she hurt her leg well we made the choice to Take her to the abattoir and make her into salami, the prosciutto and the salami out of that, and, and we called it Poppy Salami because it was Poppy. Yeah. And so, even though it was their pet, they understood that that it was now their lunch. Yeah. Um,
1: that's great, and I guess that's without that's without too
0: much without too much distress involved. I mean, none of them actually really liked Poppy, but <laughs> you know, I think. Um, that's
1: positive in the sense that, you know, you don't have to think that children can't switch their mentality from having a pet to understanding where their food comes from in, in the way that sort of yeah. Poppy's life worked. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: It's I good. mean, it's encouraging. We, we recently had a, a dog that broke its hip fighting with kangaroos. <clears throat> and, you know, in some countries, they probably would have eaten the dog. Mm. We, on the other hand didn't eat the dog the dog was a close family pet and only 14 months old and so we buried the dog yeah. which you know they understand the differentiation between produce and and pets and sometimes the line is a bit blurred you know in the case of a sow that was no longer useful and turned into salami um, the the pet became the produce but she was never a, sort of a pet to start with and yeah. not, not quite the same as a dog mm-hmm. but you know, it's it's all culturally relative, really. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of places around the world that they eat dog or they eat horse or they eat things that we probably wouldn't consider yeah. as as an edible option.
1: Yeah. Horse is um, one of those funny ones. I don't, yeah. I, I've never had a horse, but it, it's, it's very popular in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, um, rabbits. My son with his 22... Went out and shot with the neighbour's boy. And they came home with three rabbits. How old? Uh, he was 10 at the time. <laughs> and um, the neighbour was 11. And just over here, full supervision. All, you know, all done for appropriately. Not here, take a gun and piss off kids. It yeah. was all, Mum, there's rabbits over there. If we sneak over and you come with me, can can I have a try to shoot one? Sure. The whole situation was, you know, very... Um, I think it's easy for people to take things out of context and go, you let your kids go shooting? really? Um, But those rabbits then got skinned. I tanned one of them for him, the first rabbit that he'd shot. I tanned the rabbit skin. I sort of said, oh, would you like to put it around the hood of your ski jacket or something? He said, no, Mum. This is like... This is like a precious thing I'm going to have forever. You took it to boarding school last year, and his rabbit skin was on his pillow. It's like his little blanket, like his little fluffy. Yeah. It, but, but it's cool. Yeah. So cool that you know all the other kids want to come here and shoot a rabbit so they can have one because, yeah. like, where would you buy such a thing? Um, but the rabbit pie that we had for dinner that night, the boys learned how to skin a rabbit. We had rabbit pie, and you've never seen kids more voraciously eating dinner because they were so proud that they got dinner for the families you know yep. we all sat down and and praised the fact that they went hunting and got that the boys got this that's it they dug a few potatoes up and they dug a few carrots up and the whole thing was a meal of you know of them providing stuff for dinner that's, that's it. here mum cook it
1: and that's a story they'll tell for it was a
0: it was a day in their lives that they will never ever forget
1: yeah um just quickly do you want to just run us through what you actually produce on the farm so we've talked about pigs
0: yep yep so pigs when, when we bought the farm it had beef cattle yeah and we ended up selling them they were not particularly um good at staying in fences or particularly nice cows one of them just about gourd sam one day we we ended up with some more cows Um, and a couple of sheep and then we got a couple more sheep we had pigs, got a couple more pigs Um, we found I didn't mean to become a pig farmer it was our first batch of piglets that the local chef James Viles came to look at and said he wanted them I'll take the lot it was 9 o'clock the next morning and Sam called in and said oh not interested in local free range pigs, he said sure am, came straight out the next morning said yep I'll have them all, let's catch them I'm like, actually, I don't know what to do with them. I need to... So, suddenly, had to research a whole lot of stuff. Um, So, yeah, we produce pork, mainly as as suckers, although we sometimes have some uncommonly delicious salami, Hmm. Um, and lamb and beef. Um, Any number of other small, obscure pieces of produce, I mean had half a dozen chefs come out the other day to try and catch a few yabbies, only because the time before they'd come out to pick plums and they went home with venison and <laughs> plums and yabbies. And so they came out this time to catch yabbies and ended up taking home fig leaves, nettles, um, mallow and some other thing that I didn't know about I thought was a weed called fat hen, which is apparently quite a herbaceous little something rather. Just find stuff in the paddock as they're going around, and and so you know, I could co- quite happily say, I produce fig leaves for chefs to um, you know curd <laughs> their repotter. Just so happens that my fig tree is going all right at the moment because I chopped down this other thing above it. But um, yeah, at this stage I don't commercially produce any fowl or eggs, yeah. although I have sold geese to people for for dinner. Yeah, um, you know, someone calls and says actually. Really like some geese. Well, I've got a couple here. If you're prepared to come out and catch them and pluck them, <laughs> you, you can have them. You know. Yeah. Um, and it would be nice to. I've I've looked at doing some quail or something else, maybe duck or yeah. There's a couple. We've of got a dam there. There's a couple of guinea fowl running around, but they're they're notoriously stupid. They're they're very hard to raise because they're just so crazy. But I've got a dam there. We have a lot of native wood ducks on the dam. So, yeah, there's no reason why maybe not ducks next year. Yep. I'm testing out my new incubator and it sounds like number three is just yeah, hatched. Yeah, so. I know. It's cool. But inevitably they'll end up being so precious that we'll have them ourselves because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's hard if to you've got then... a limited amount. Yeah. If you've got a limited amount, it's hard to part with it except for an exceptional circumstance. Yeah. And, you know, in the case of the pigs, that's usually chef's or someone's wedding. Yeah. It's not just... It's special. It's not just Definitely. everyday stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and
1: yeah. you were explaining to me before about uh, a bit about how you rotate the stock, the you, you know the lambs into where the pigs were and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, just... they all
0: they all graze quite differently. Yeah. Um, cows and sheep graze quite differently from each other, and also have completely different intestinal worms and parasites. And so to rotate, you know, once the cows have been and chewed the grass to a certain level, the sheep can chew it much lower. And the pigs come along and they actually want to chew the roots and turn the entire lot over. Um, horses are somewhere in between. So by moving different animals onto different paddocks at different times, you actually end up maximising your use of the grass and then having it turned over and then fertilised by everyone, ready for either re-sowing or rejuvenation or, or not. You know, sometimes the pigs can only just be in there quickly and they'll, they'll just dig up certain parts and that's just enough to sort of freshen things up again and Mm. um it's an inexact science which i'm not um schooled on enough to say this is our strict rotation policy it's kind of like oh those cows have been in there for a week or so yeah it looks like the grass getting down let's chuck the sheep in behind them and move them to that next paddock that's actually getting a bit long yeah it's you know
1: that seems and, to be the the most logical way to do it though. You, yeah. It's an environment. It's not something that is And it's an environment that in the Highlands
0: changes exactly. weekly or seasonally and you know, sometimes seasonally is four times in a day. Yeah. So it's it's um, hard to predict and I'm I'm not as dedicated as I should be with recording my rainfalls and my temperatures and all of this stuff to see. We pretty much just fly yeah. by the seat of our pants well, and do it thing. as do it as we feel it's it's ready. Um, yeah. Or in in some cases, as we can afford to, like yeah. fencing another section of the paddock off or or strip grazing a paddock so that you can intensively just get all the grass out of one. But, you know, that involves having the time and the facility to say, right, well, That's let's it. put the electric fence up there and do that. And
1: Yeah. And I mean, you've got so much Sometimes life going. gets in the way. That's it. You've you... <laughs> got so much happening at once that, yeah. you know, and... If it was but a, if the if it, cow
0: stay in the clover for another few days. well, Let them yeah. go. And, yeah, and like
1: it's a small scale operation. It's yeah. it's if it was a giant sort of industrial sized you know thing, then you would be recording your rainfall and you'd be testing you know mineral levels in soil and and trying but to do. We all do all that do, sort do stuff soil on... testing
0: occasionally just to see because I don't want to waste money on fertilizing paddocks that actually don't need it. And until you get a soil test, you can't understand what's lacking. In, in any particular soil and, and soil health is really important um, rainfall while it can be indicative and seasonal quite often it's not and you're just going, oh well what's the point, it's going to rain when it rains and we'll deal with that mm-hmm. when it happens, you can't necessarily um, waste too much time thinking about what might happen and actually just deal with what does happen yeah. it will be how it is, there's no point stressing about it
1: Yeah, so that's it.
0: life's too short to, to waste time um, on the unknown,
1: exactly, and I mean just responding to responding to nature and responding to yeah. the environment seems just logical. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like it works.
0: <laughs> yeah, so far it seems to be working yeah, really it nicely. It seems to be working. It's, the
1: pigs seem to be all the animals it's a nice seem way to, to live. be very very happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah and as no, you were we, saying, happy. We are. Happy we are pretty are tasty happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 and you've got a beautiful. It's such a beautiful property. I mean, your your little area down there by the creek with the open fire for cooking and, and that it's sort of thing. It's a special spot. It's very special. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll probably leave it at that, Katrina. Okay. But thank you so much for having us out here today. It's, Welcome. It's been great. Great to meet you, and um, just a great thing you're doing. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Quicksand Food Connection. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katrina from Redleaf Farm. If you want to find out more about Redleaf Farm, you can visit them online at redleaf-farm.com. And you can also follow them on Instagram at Redleaf Farm. If you want to find out more about Quicksand Publishing and Quicksand Food, you can visit us online at quicksandfood.com. Uh, we're also at Quicksandfood on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you want to listen to more episodes of the Quicksand Food Connection, you can find them on our website, quicksandfood.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you see you next time.